back and forget that same perspective because you just have that little truck full of cars now. Whereas in the front, you just have a few little degrees and it's really tilting things. So that was one of my favorite things to see in the spring. And so you get to see that by sitting in the back. In the summer, it's of course a lot more beautiful, especially when you're in the short approach down to the south coming into Boston because that neighborhood on the hill with all of that fireworks display is burning right now. And it would be the firework displays would be exploding underneath the aircraft as they're on short runway. And it looked like they were taking more fire. I mean, we were still 10,000 feet above the, the height of the fireworks display in Wall Street here at the neighborhood. But it's one thing to see a fireworks display from the ground looking up to the fireworks. It's another when you're flying over them and they're coming up closer and they explode underneath you. It's an entirely different perspective. It's like a very bright explosive mushroom. And it's really cool looking, lots of fun to see in the summer. The other fun thing to see in the summer is anytime the thunderstorm moving through the air, it's rain and rain and thunder and lightning on the ground. But from above, the sun is shining. And you would see the lightning light up the inside of the cloud. And it looks like a big cauldron with smoky mist with lightning zigging and zagging across the top of the cauldron. But then the sun shines a unique sight, and it's a beautiful sight. And you can get glimpses of it from your cabin, but it's really from the cockpit that you get to see those things. But the best sight that I ever got to see was a winter fireworks working towards the Boston to Madison route. We would be on a route heading over the Grand Canal and getting ready to set up in the Michigan Center where the show ends in Madison Mall. And there were a couple of times that we were privileged as they were looking to the west and the northwest to, to see uh, the Northern Lights. And the Northern Lights, I've never seen them before in my life. I've only seen pictures of them in magazines or on TV. But when you're flying at 30,000 feet and you encounter the Northern Lights, it looks like this combination of green and purple steaming curtain that goes from below the aircraft thousands of feet, if not miles, above you. And you feel like this tidal gush. And it stretches for miles and miles in every direction. It was absolutely overwhelming. It was absolutely amazing to see it from the cockpit, from the front of the aircraft. And you knew it couldn't hurt you. You knew that the northern lights weren't going to get you. But they were so big, and they were so powerful, and they were so beautiful, that you, you start looking back at the eastern coast. You don't notice that anything was hitting the, the coastline. Because there were a couple of times that we were actually able to fly through the northern lights. It, 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 you, they were there, and the whole windscreen was filled with this glowing, green, sparkling purple curtain that stretched all the way to the moon, it looked like. There were a couple of times it was so overwhelming that you just, you, you stopped talking to yourself. You, you were so overwhelmed by the view that we would make an announcement in the back, say, folks, we, we have to fix this, and we would turn the aircraft sideways so that people could get out of their seats and look through the stairwell portals to get a glimpse of the vehicles as they were descending out to the, the moon. It changes you, that perspective. When you get to see things, you have a different way of interpreting the narrow space when you see it numerous times over the course of the same day. It, it changes things differently. Same thing with sun and sky waves to the glow of that is the northern lights. But considering with the northern lights, it almost felt like you were knocking on a door here, that you were a part of something that was obviously far bigger than you, that you were just awed by, that you were overwhelmed by. And of course, it didn't work in every day. But it was one of the privileges and one of the things that you get to see when you're sitting in the front is just how beautiful the 
Jesus died. Then there was a shout and a scream from Jesus, and he said, when the Son of Man is raised, it kind of feels like they're sitting in the back. John's disciples, it kind of feels like they're sitting in the front. John spent some time with these disciples, and he has given them instructions on how to pray, because we know We've studied for the past couple of months a number of things about prayer, but the bottom line is never count yourself short of an outcome. It is like a moment of prayer where knocking on the gate of heaven itself. We know that the kingdom of God advances through prayer like nothing else that ever will advance. And John's disciples have been instructed how to pray. It kind of feels like they're sitting up front. We kind of feel like they're supposed to be in the back. Well, please teach us how to pray. And so we've been looking at these words of of the Marshall family, and we've identified some themes that are kind of concerning for us in this study today. And if you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're just going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer one last time as a, as a scripture verse of study again today, and take a look at it from a church perspective, and especially try to inform our conduct here. Applying what we've, what we've seen through John and these five disciples. The disciples felt like they were sitting in the back. They felt like the ones that should have taken it from the front. And we know that the kingdom is best viewed through the lens of prayer. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus said, Jesus, and then Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 16. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In a few minutes, we're going to take a look at this last phrase. In your Bibles, it might be in brackets. Uh, There might be a little note or a letter or an asterisk that's on the phrase that says, do you expect God to answer our prayers? And you might be wondering why it is that in your prayers, in Bibles that don't read like that, in people that don't pray in brackets like that, or not even brackets, but they're in circles like that, and there's a, a cumulative wealth of knowledge that is being built up along with the scriptural text. And so what they really are supposed to be doing, if you were writing down these passages of the Bible that they're praying in, is as they would write notes in the margin, explaining different parts of the text or adding things to the text or clarifying some usage or addition at the end of verses. And what happens when King James came up with the King James Bible in 1611, their their existing Bibles were so full of notes on the top and the bottom and the margins and the sides that our friend George Carter was getting very concerned with that if they're trying to say what the rest of the scripture and what was just somebody's good idea that they put in there. And so one of the things that King James said is they wanted a clean Bible. The Bible was minimal notes. And so 1611, when the King James Bible was printed, it's actually known as the authorized version or the authorized English King James. This is a note that used to be in the margin. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the reason that it's included in our Bibles is because when the church was praying for the Lord's Prayer, it felt like when church folks Appropriate when church folks prayed and when church folks prayed for people for their thousands of years that the Bible was being copied. But when our prayers go overseas, this is a good fact to know. It is an acceptable fact to know. It is an acceptable way to wrap up their time of prayer and their time in these prayers. And the Lord's Prayer is being studied in many churches throughout history, and they are constantly part 
and then confessing and admitting their sin, they actually stop praying and begin confessing and admitting their sin. And to back up that same confession, to back up that same admission, they, they set up an example of you and said, well, if you back up from your sin before you finish with your prayer, if you admit your sin and you finish with your prayer of admission, they kept taking a few little steps in that direction to get you to do that. And they got you to that point of admission. So, yes, it's in the Bible that, yes, it's in you to make sense of why you don't know. And, yes, it's in Scripture why it's your duty to make up your mind to change. But the same thing works for the other ways that you might sin. If you never thought about it before, you have to make the choice just to put the uh, foot uh, foot to the to the floor again. So our challenge is you, when you step to the ways of admission, to kind of break up your own sin and take it into your foot to change your future decisions so that you are constantly admitting. But your sin is as meaningful as your sin, and it's broken down into four different categories for you. The first is ordinary the person who is sinning prays the confession of another sin that's like a sin of sin so we talked about how a couple says one thing but we don't always say the other and so when you enter into a serious prayer it's appropriate to bring that before us but that's not the point of the service basically reminding ourselves as a church of ours of how serious sin is and so whether that's a sexual sin it's a fishing sin or it's all the sin of sin and we think that when a prayer like this, a confession of one's sin, is to confess to God and bring it to God to be honest with Him, that you are the Creator, that you've never sinned against God, that you have access to all feeling and affection, that illness is something that God will take back to His existence, not just in effect, but in all healing and forgiveness that He has, that there is good approval and consideration for coming back to you and trusting Him with everything that you need in your healing. This is much more of a prayer of admission than it is sin of admission. And, and we call that forgiveness. And so prayer today, I, I feel like I want us to get familiar with the tool and take those steps of confession in a way that works for you for the prayer that you pray with in different ways in your life. And Jesus says our prayer of admission is to make confession of one's sin. Pray and give it up again. That's the only way to get there. Next comes the request. Uh, with the letter R in the word pray, make sure you pray the Lord's Prayer or pray it like you eat dinner, dinner together or dinner at work. We would request the Lord to fix everything on the outside and fix everything on the inside. He wants us to do justice to the world and he wants to make things right in your life and in your family. And of course, we could have mentioned this when we talked about the request for the prayer in that letter, that what we are asking for the Lord is peace for us today, answers for us today, healings for us today, resources for us today, resolutions for us today, different addictions for us in the life that we might have. And then it comes to a prayer of confession or admission or declaring our faith or declaring our belief. Again, it's appropriate for the person that you're going to do that with each time to pray for somebody sitting under the pew with you. It's going to be appropriate for you to pray. And if you don't pray, it's going to be your turn to pray and take it up and declare your faith. So we talked about the fact that forgiveness is conditional. That forgiveness comes through our faith and that if we do not have faith to believe the forgiveness that the Lord has extended to us, we can't take that kind of sin out of us. And so we ask forgiveness for our sins as well as extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us. We talked about trusting that someone uh, also uses an extra means to forgive someone else and they work you through their trials. We do not lose those temptations of living for everyone 